Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, animation fans of all ages, to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and joining me once again is Slick Rick here. How you doing, Slick? <laughs> doing pretty good, Larry. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Doing great. We've got a great guest on here for this podcast, uh, Brent George, who's going to be teaching our motion capture class. We kind of briefly talked a little bit about it in our podcast with David Lamb, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually getting to talk with him about the workshop. Oh yes, I'm I'm really thrilled. And what's really cool is that um, the our motion class class is not like the technical like I'm just gonna learn motion building. You're gonna really it's gonna be a very artistic class, and we work really hard to make sure that any animator, no matter what level they're at, will really pick up new things and really learn and be able to grow as an artist and use it. You know, you know if they apply to different studios or different careers, whether it's for film, commercial, or games, uh, that this will apply for any animator. So there's a lot to learn. It's gonna be it's gonna be an awesome class. Right. Well, I was actually looking at his bio, and he's worked in commercials, television, film, video games. So yeah, he definitely brings a lot to the table. So looking forward. Yeah, to yeah. He's now. been directing, directing, supervising for quite a while. I mean, even live action. You know, so gonna be a great podcast well let's bring him on all right brent thank you for joining us today how you doing not bad you doing really good doing real well looking forward to our conversation today yeah yeah me too awesome well we welcome you first of all to our animate instructor roster list here i had a chance to watch the uh, interview that uh, rick did with you for uh, pixel challenge or at pixel challenge and it looks like right it's on. gonna be a really cool workshop so i'm looking forward to talking with you about it yeah, I'm actually really excited about uh, holding the workshop. It's, uh, I've been wanting to do something like this for quite a while. Very cool. Now, why don't yeah. we start out? I love um, kind of getting the uh, foundation with kind of your background, how you got into animation, and maybe some of the stuff you've been working on. Sure, yeah, okay. Um, so, background. Uh, not to date myself, but uh, I started a long time ago in classical animation. I went to Sheridan College. Um, so, that was back in like, I don't know, the mid-90s, if you can believe it. And, um, yeah. <laughs> So I did that for a while, and then I switched into 3D and worked in uh, television, film, commercials. Pretty much kind of touched just about everything, but gaming was something that I actually didn't get into for a while. I, I got into that back in around 2000 and, uh, 2006, I believe, and uh, that was uh, my first, my first uh, jump into the video game industry was at a small company in Toronto called um, Pseudo Interactive. And then from there on, I just it sort of it just became game company after game company. I really kind of fell in love with it. So it's I, I still do a lot of film stuff on the side, but I really um, I really enjoy the game uh, production because it's very. I, I think it's because I really enjoy the challenge. You know, it's not just like making pretty pictures. It's sort of doing pretty pictures, but working with all the constraints you have, which I really enjoy. That's pretty cool. So now you have this film and games background here that you can kind of cross pollinate and kind of take the best of both, right? Um, so how do, what do you, what do you mean exactly? Well, for example, we had our recent podcast with David Lamb and one of the things that he was talking about was having some film background with him and some of the other guys. And they were able to kind of pull some of that in to how oh, yeah. they did things in regards to, uh, the last of us talking about doing dailies and things yeah. of that nature. Absolutely. I, it's, it's funny because, uh, companies talk a lot about, you know, they have a lot of buzzwords like convergence and, and I mean, there's like several of them, but, uh, they, um, 
what they really need to do to really have the convergence sort of thing happening. I think they really need to hire a lot of people who have experienced lots of different uh, sort of um, um, mediums in um, as far as animation is concerned. Well, in, in anything like just just making I think we're all in the business of, of making entertainment and experiences for for people. And I think that uh, the more crossover and the more perspectives you've, you can gain um, over your career, the, the more you can sort of the bigger the bag of tricks kind of grows. And you can sort of it allows it allows you to think outside the box, or at least think outside the box compared to sort of the the, the, the typical trappings that people find themselves in when they sort of keep hitting the wall on on, on the sort of the same problems over and over again. And say the film industry, you know, I've I've several times brought some of the stuff over that I learned from games into film and vice versa. <laughs> nice, very cool. So yeah, no, it's I think it's super important. We're seeing more and more of it too. No, that's great. And that's what's been kind of fun seeing some of the cross-pollinization from each of the industries and how they're kind of working together in that regards to, to, to like you said, bring that entertainment value there. So, Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you get into games initially? Was it just something that a, a, a job that had come up or – <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I'm Toronto has always been my hometown. I, um, I grew up just outside of Toronto. So I, naturally I, I moved – to Toronto quite early in my life so I could be around where the industry was uh, after you know having gone to school at Sheridan it was sort of already preordained that I would be in the sort of animation and, and film industry but um, <laughs> I don't know what it is about Toronto but Toronto has had a lot of trouble over the years holding uh, a, like a, having a good foothold in the video game industry and uh, anyone who's tried to work or uh, has worked in the Toronto industry or Toronto game industry in the past will tell you that it's, it's true They've, there's been a lot of companies that have just sort of opened up and Close and Pseudo Interactive was this one that has had been standing for a while. It was sort of like this monument of video game hope in Toronto. And a few of my friends were working in there, and I just I was always, always, always fascinated by by uh, by video game production. And um, I part of it was because I'm 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 a, I'm a you know I obsess over video games. So I, I thought, why not take all of what I've learned and um, and try my hand at, at game production can, you know, and, and not only get to, you know, animate in, in, you know, for games, but also maybe, you know, get paid to play them a little bit too. Why not? Right. So I, I, I applied, they were actually, they were looking for somebody and I got referred and uh, they were really, they, they'd started their, um, they, most of their games, I don't know if anyone, anyone listening has played any pseudo pseudo interactive games, but they made themselves quite famous for launch titles. So they made a launch title way back in the day for Xbox called cell damage. It was a really cool game. You know, it was a car racing game, but it was, it was very combative. It was like, I, I always kind of made it, I, I always described it almost like the, the kind of cartoony version of twisted metal because rather than like machine guns, it would be like big Warner brothers style cartoony mallets would come out and smash other cars around you. It was a lot of fun. And um, so they moved on from that. They they made uh, Full Auto and Full Auto 2, which were launch titles for both uh, PlayStation, um, uh, sorry, the, the, the Xbox 360 and then the PlayStation 3. And uh, they were kind of trapped in this sort of auto car racing kind of genre, and they wanted to break out of that. So they hired me to set up uh, essentially a whole character pipeline. I hired a whole pile of people uh, on my team, and we were we were building a game that actually, unfortunately, never saw the light of day. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Now, how did you pull from your team? Was it people that you had been working with in other studios? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I definitely hired – I taught um, a, a lot in Toronto, so I had a lot of um, a lot of people that I had already taught that were that I had really good relationships with and I knew I worked really well with. 
And um, so there's a pretty good network I could have pulled from. And I, you know, obviously all the jobs that I'd worked in Toronto in film and in television, there was, you know, a pretty good list of people that I could contact that I thought would be a good fit. And so I just put this great team together and uh, made it happen. The game was looking really good, too. It makes me kind of sad. But... <laughs> oh, well. I can't really prove it, can I? So <laughs> you just have to take my word for it. You know, one thing I want to say really quickly that uh, Brent touched up on, and I wanted to say something really quick to students, that um, when you are when you get an opportunity to work with a guy at super high level, this is your time to really demonstrate yourself as an artist. And I tell this to the students, you never know, you know, who's going to hire you or oh, yeah. what kind of connection. So if your instructor says, you know what, this guy is doing really great work, there's a job opening overseas or locally, I want to hire one of my guys, one of my students, or I want to suggest one of my students to one of my, my buddies who's hiring, one of my directors who's hiring. So I think that's awesome how Brent just kind of touched up on that. What do you, what do you think, Brent? Do you often do that? Oh, yeah. Honestly, this is it's the number of people, the number of my ex uh, ex students I've either hired or referred to companies is uh, quite large. And it's just because there's a there's this advantage that you have. I mean, companies and actually I've been very marketable in the, in the industry as a teacher because of this relationship I have as well, because an interview and a portfolio and a demo reel, these things only go so far. But when you've already seen people in you know, with you know, under a little bit of pressure. And, you know, a lot of the schools that I've taught for, they typically have production-like kind of classes where they're, you know, they're, you know, they're expected to produce some sort of body of work at the end. And it's a lot of work. It's a ton of work. And there's always stress involved. And to watch them under that kind of pressure and see how they really perform and how they deal with stress, this is um, priceless. It's worth its weight in gold. So to be able to, like, know for sure and be able to vouch completely for a person to bring them into a company or to refer them somewhere is, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty sweet. So not just their skills, but actually their character. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like uh, something we, we tell our students often over at Dawson college here in Montreal is, you know, it's every day of class with an instructor is sort of like an interview in mm. a way, because <laughs> you are really already, you're building that network that you're going to probably depend on and build on for the rest of your life in this industry. One of these days, the guy that's in your class might be your boss, your lead, your director, yeah. or vice versa, you know? So many, <laughs> yeah, not just so. your instructor, not just your instructor, but the, yeah, the people sitting next to you. And I've seen this happen. I mean, like, you know, I haven't gone to Sheridan so long ago. I have worked for and worked with and had people working for me that I went to class with several, several times. And, you know, it's a very small industry and it's, it's, a, it's like, a, you know, I, I know I'm sure Rick and I talk about this all the time. It's, it really is like a family and, um, you know, it, it grows bigger every day, but it still seems small. You know, everyone seems to know everybody and, <laughs> and, uh, it, and that's a good thing and it could be a bad thing. It all depends on, you know, your perspective and how well things are, are going for you, I guess. <laughs> right on. <laughs> now, you're over at Ubisoft Montreal, right? I was. I, I moved to Montreal for that. Okay, um, okay. Now, what yeah, were you doing yeah, over yeah. there? Well, I got I got hired uh, to work on a um, a smaller project that um, sort of got shuffled around a little bit, and um, I was quickly actually moved onto something that was a bit more of an emergency project that needed to get done, and that was uh, Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar. So okay. that was my first big license license title experience. Uh, after that, I had um, I moved on to work on Far Cry Three. I was doing pre production there, and um, then I moved on to Rainbow Six. Uh, Patriots, which uh, was announced, but it's it hasn't um, it hasn't come out yet. 
And what, what, uh, after, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm go sorry. Go I, was, I got over, overly excited. I wanted to <laughs> talk talk a little well, bit please. about the the casting please, on Far Cry Three. But you know what? Continue on, All and right. we'll come back to the casting. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, but I'd love to talk about that. It's actually definitely one of my most uh, some of the a most fun I've had at Ubisoft yeah. during Rainbow Six. I I kind of decided I wanted to take a bit of a break because it was hard because working on those three productions kind of back to back to back and and uh, I just kind of I really needed to to mix things up a little bit. So I, and I, I I've in Toronto I spent a lot of time in kind of the freelance market and I really enjoy it because I love the idea of working on lots of different things and not necessarily being stuck only to one company and what's available at that one company. I love the idea of of pioneering and getting out there and um, trying very very different types of projects you know and, and not to mention that if you work for a video game company unfortunately sometimes for me it's sort of like that's what you're going to be working on only where i really enjoy commercials and television and video games and film like so something i wanted to try and and i also was able to focus a little bit more um, on teaching and uh but it did not it didn't last very long the call to arms um sort of I got a, I got a call from a, a couple of my friends from that I knew from Rainbow Six that I had left Ubisoft and went over to um, to Warner Brothers here in Montreal and they were working on Batman. So I I uh, back in January they were just starting their big push for polishing the game and they needed somebody to come in and help with the animation direction. So that's what I've been doing. I literally just uh, worked my last day on Friday actually on that. So they're they're wrapping that bad boy. It's going to be awesome. Now, one of the things you kind of mentioned here, and I've heard Rick and David in regards to this motion capture course that we're going to be teaching here at iAnimate, or you're going to be teaching, (laughs) (laughs) um, is that this is going to kind of help broaden animators and their ability. And uh, Rick's kind of mentioned the ability to make themselves versatile and have more. Yeah, have more tools. I mean, keyframe, I mean, we all love it. I mean, I love it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, sure. it's what we love is being really, you know, visionaries and, and like Brett was saying, pioneers of our art. But uh, motion capture is a fantastic tool when you know how to use it. And that's why I wanted Brent to come on board. I mean, we've been talking and building this class for, for quite, a, quite a while. And it's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of back and forth and a lot of late nights and, you know, just really want to get nailed. But the tools that you're going to learn to improve yeah. as an artist and to be valuable to 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 yourself as much as to any company that you join. It's I mean, there's you're gonna learn a lot. And it's not just for games. This this what you're gonna no. learn is is for commercials Absolutely. and film. I mean, yeah. film guys, yeah. I mean, this is the stuff that you're gonna need for films if you really want to, you know, Absolutely. push it. Well, that's yeah. kind of why I was bringing that up because, like I said, I've heard you mention that before. But now that I'm talking with Brent and he's kind of bringing up, I was doing this project and I went to this project, went to that project. It seems like that's been a very valuable tool set now putting it in a practical example such as Brent. Well, see, here's the thing. I often describe this sort of the thing that's happening right now in motion capture or performance capture is similar to when 3D animation started. I mean, I don't do you guys remember like I remember, you know, 3D animation at one point was like what I saw in the you know in the front window facade of um, of a Radio Shack you know store or uh, you know, I don't know what you guys have it out in the states that back in the days where of like the Commodore sixty four, but you know like they were like the graphics were like these polygonal figures that were like juggling these metallic balls on a checkered ground and you know the stuff was really 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 mathematical you know like the stuff was just it was lacking it was lacking life you know it was lacking that soul that uh, that animators had been putting into their characters for years and years years classically right and then something happened there was this big this big movement occurred this movement that was you know you know 
where we're certain people like let's say John Lasseter, you know, he he shows up at Disney and with this uh, little um, this little short that he did. What was it Wally B? I believe. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it blew the socks off people. And the reason why it blew the socks off people was because that's what an animator can do with a computer. As opposed to, you know, the technicians that design the software who's trying to show it off and market it, it really requires this beautiful um, relationship and this beautiful fusion between technology and art to do something amazing and to do something memorable and to do something that has a soul. And um, what I'm seeing is happening right now is animators shy away from, I find, because they don't, you know, they don't, either they don't understand it or it feels like there's not enough creativity there. And truthfully, they're the people who are best suited to do something really amazing with it. And, uh, and I mean, you know what I mean? It may not be for everybody. I'm not saying it is. But what Rick was hinting at is, yeah, like there are lots of ways of using motion capture. I mean, even if it's just as a tool for reference, you know, at the very, very least, it is absolutely priceless for an animator, you know, all the way up to the top where it could be, okay, as, a, as an animator learning how to, how to bend the rules and how to take motion capture and then to bend it to your will to create something that's bigger than life rather than just literally the offerings that motion capture has – to in, in the hands of just a really good technician is the replication of life. That's the best you can ever hope for. But an animator can bring so much more to that table. And I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that my class is going to, well, I know my class is going to really open the eyes to, to, to animators and not only give them some extra you know, tricks in their bag and make them a bit more marketable for that first job, but also I'm hoping that a lot of them embrace it and to take it to, to places that I know that we can take it. Okay, I've got a question for you then here. And one of the things we're trying to incorporate here with the podcast is some community, obviously we aren't doing this live, but where they can ask some questions. So I posed some questions before this podcast. Oh, okay. We have awesome. one from, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have one from Nicolette Kiss. She said, what's your favorite thing about working with motion capture? Uh, whew, that's a good question. I, I, um, for me, it's the performance. As animators, right, how many, anyone listening to this right now, ask themselves honestly, how many of you, we're all really closet actors, right? That's what we yeah. do as animators. How many of you have gone to acting class? How many of you actually have done the due diligence to pick up, and I mean going a little further than picking up, you know, the silver platter that is Ed Hook's books, right? Like, I mean, I'm talking about, have you gone out there and really done it? Have you tried it, right? And there's not a lot of hands up right now. <laughs> there are. And I mean, and, I, and I'm telling you, this is kind of, it's kind of tragic in a way. And it's it says it's it's sort of it's sort of it's funny because it, it casts a really bright light on an area that we should all probably improve upon. But it also says something special about animators is that we are these different type of actors. You know, we're these very behind the scenes. We're more like puppeteers, probably. All that being said, I think the going back to the original question, I I, I think what I really love the most about the motion capture process is being able to work with and to collaborate with real trained professional performers and learn so much from them. I mean, take a look at any of these, you know, classical films that were done back in the day, even Pixar films. If you see Making Of, what do you see? You see a lot of videotapes of the audio recordings, right? And you have a bunch of animators with sketchbooks, and they're just literally soaking up like sponges the sort of the mannerisms, the body language of the performers. And it's, it, it's, there's a reason for that, you know? And, and I think that just being around that, it just makes us – gives us an opportunity to observe and to make connections that we might not otherwise make. And I think that that's a really, really exciting thing. And then to be able to take that performance in a three-dimensional like form that I can bring into the computer and then make it even bigger than that original performance to perfect and to hone, 
not only is it is it awesome because I, I can literally feel my learning curve start to start to accelerate but i also just because it's like just looking at the data in three dimensions rather than reference videos that are 2d i'm literally seeing that performance over and over again i can see it you know from any angle i want i can see it as many times as i want i can absorb it and i can actually learn from it and i can perfect it so that actually makes me even a better animator you know i go back and i do a keyframe scene and all of a sudden I'm bringing more to the party, you know? Right, right. Well, now let's go back to what Rick was wanting to ask them because you were mentioning there to be able to work with these more professional actors. He brought up Far Cry. What's the deal with that? You want to talk about it? Yeah, sure. I, this is something that's really funny, and it's it's uh, something I, I, you know, would, I would have never thought in a million years that I would have – that video games would have been the road to travel to be able to do something that – like that was so amazing and so fun and so so rare really as to be like going on casting tours global t- casting tours in you know the states uh, up in here in Canada and then like working with you know people that you know like you know that that you that you love watching in in your favorite you know movies and television shows and this was something that was really really weird like i i honestly i i thought well i you know, i just thought working in feature film that would have been the more obvious way of accessing that kind of experience but it was funny that, that games and the, the gaming industry in, in Ubisoft gave me that opportunity. And I, I really, really, really loved it. So what, I, what ended up happening is, I mean, there's a lot of people that are in the video game industry right now that are sort of learning as they go. And the people who are really in charge of casting and directing these performers are people like me, animation directors. People like me who we have lots of experience directing animators. But directing an animator is very different than directing a performer. And, um, and so this, this experience really, like, really opened my mind to a lot of things. It started really on, on Avatar, but I, I really got a chance to really flex my, my newly foreign muscles on, on Far Cry. So um, I think my, my, my most exciting moment was when I went on a casting tour looking for, um, looking for a couple people. We were, it was pre-production, so we weren't making the final game, but we were, we were trying to find the game. And uh, the Ubisoft, we do this thing called uh, the FPP, which is the first playable prototype. It's sort of like a game that proves to yourself and an editorial at Ubisoft in France that this is a good game and we can, you know, this is something we should spend a lot of money on and make. So part of that, I was working, spending a lot of time being the animation director on both the in-game side of things and working with, you know, the AI designers to make really believable, you know, reaction systems for the AI, you know, and, and the team that was responsible for making the first person animations as well. But there was also this whole narrative thing that needed to get sorted out. So I went on this casting tour looking for sort of like a villain-like character. At the time, he was just supposed to be um, like a, like kind of like a, like a lieutenant bad guy. Um, you know, I had a bio that I was going off of. And I had some, some character designs. And I was also looking for a female lead at the time as well. And so I you know, went on a, on a tour. It was only here in Canada on this one. It was we, we toured Montreal, we toured Toronto, and we toured Vancouver. I was on my, uh, on my own looking for these performers that we thought we could make a good demo with. And I just couldn't find, for the life of me, the um, a good a good performer. Like I, I just it wasn't that's not true. I wasn't like I couldn't find good performers. I just couldn't find the right match. I had a bio sheet of this guy who kind of felt like this big King Kong Bundy kind of guy, and you know it just I a lot of people came and they tried to give me something, and I just I just wasn't feeling the love like at all. I just I, I wasn't looking at these performances going this is going to make this game interesting, but this this guy came in. And I knew right away there was something different about him. He was engaged. He, he was bringing something to this party that no, nobody else was really bringing. And it wasn't at all what I was expecting. And I didn't really even feel like it was at all like the bio. 
but he surprised the crap out of me. <laughs> and and that ended up that was Michael Mando. He 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 ended up being Voss in that um, in 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 the final game. We brought him in and we started working with him, and it was a really cool experience because rather than the typical like procedure of taking like um you know taking a character and then you know hiring an actor and being like okay be this person, we kind of built a character around him. And uh, that was a, a very different for a lot of people on the on the on the team, and a lot of a lot of us had to sort of learn as we went. But it was it turned out uh, you know pretty well because a lot of people responded really well to Tim in the end. I can't take final credit for the final character because, like I said, it didn't ship the game. But I know that I brought you know I brought him in, and we worked with him, and uh, that was one of my fondest memories to date in my entire career. Oh, that's very cool. That was a really long answer, huh? I went on for like. <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> Trust me, I could go on for longer. You gotta like, I put like maybe you should have like a cattle prod or something like that. <laughs> a little button. Uh, <laughs> a little button that just tells me, okay, Brent, you're done. Get the hook. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's the cool part about and what I'm hearing from you as far as the animation director's point of view that you're actually a director in that that uh, view. Yeah. How has that played a factor in you being an animator as well, having worn that hat? What so having worn an animation director hat and then being an animator as well? Yes, that can be tricky because it's like once you've got a taste for being the person people rely on to make the decisions, it's it can be difficult. I I you know it, it takes some practice. But it take, can be difficult to take a step back and to you know to be like okay this is you know this is no longer it's no longer my my call and to like you know trust in someone else making those calls. You know, because the big thing about directing is it's either you need to learn or you're good at this already, but you need to see the big picture, right? It's not it's no longer about just microscopic little things. I know a lot of a lot of animation leads and a lot of animation directors I've met in the past, they get they, they obsess a bit too much with just the details and they're more like animation coaches. Where animation directors they need to be able to do that, but they also need to be able to make sure that all the efforts of these little things will be properly injected into the big picture to make it what it needs to be right and so that can be a little tricky because once you see that it's like seeing the matrix you know and and, and decoding it for the first time it's hard to not see it anymore not to yeah. say that i see the matrix but right i wish i could <laughs> <laughs> i know yeah. rick can he was telling me about it the other day i'm pretty impressed <laughs> yeah. don't share my secrets <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> Now, what's the difference between motion capture and performance capture for you? Oh, oof. that's a good one. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I always refer to Andy Serkis when it comes to this. He, I, it was funny, one of the first uh, conference kind of things I, did, I, I got to go to when I was at Ubisoft here in Montreal, I, they had this big event at one of the theaters downtown, and it was Andy Serkis. He was coming around, he was kind of doing a bit of a road tour, talking about and evangelizing what he was so eloquently calling performance capture and uh his take on it is it was it's really there is the, the difference really is whether whether it's whether the what you're capturing is um is it all about the performance or is it all about just a bunch of motion but the problem is is that really in the end of the day and this is something that i think a lot of people need to challenge themselves with is that what is motion without a little bit of performance you know even in a video game people like and the number of times i've seen people uh, say, oh, all you need in a video game, Demoreal, is just run cycles and just walks. I call bullcrap on that, man, because it's not to say that it's not going to get you the job, but I guarantee you, as 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 things become more and more competitive, finding a ways of putting performance into all your actions is the key, and that's what's going to make you stand out amongst the rest. And any good director is going to notice that right away in a reel, and they're going to you're going to be the first one called, as opposed to everyone who's could be very competent animators, but 
I can find a good animator, but can I find an animator that knows how to bring it to the next level? So I think performance capture is really just sort of a school of thought. It's it's saying it's it's making the 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 conscious decision to stand it amongst the rest when it comes to anything motion capture, quote unquote, uh, generated and making sure that the the emphasis is put on performance itself. Okay, well, this kind of goes into another question that that uh, Nicolette Kiss had mentioned. She says, "What kind of things are they looking for in a showreel when hiring mocap artists? Do they usually hire specifically to do mocap, or as someone flexible enough to switch between keyframe and mocap depending on the project?" Another fantastic question. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, I want to answer this one, and then I'm going to answer it. Take I... it, and I'm, I'm going to say that that's exactly what I was going to say. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to answer plan. first? Cause... Okay, let me say, uh, personally, if I hire someone for motion capture, rarely do I hire someone just for motion capture. I like yeah. when my team is very flexible because working in games, uh, you know, production, it's so organic. It changes so fast. And sometimes, you know, if I hire a mocap artist just to do like cinematics, but what happens if my cinematics are late or they change the script, then what do I do with that person? So I like hiring someone that that's great keyframer, but that's also knows how to work with motion capture and make motion capture great. So rarely I'll hire just a motion capture. I mean, I might, I'll have a mocap lead um, yeah. and, and, and a senior, and then I'll have guys, and now I'll have half the team able to do back and forth, in-game animation, yeah. in-game scripted events, in-game uh, cinematics, and then, you know, motion capture cinematics. So, Brent, I don't know how you like to I, set up your team, but I like flexibility personally. I agree. I think that the, I think the advice is different depending on who I'm speaking to. If I'm speaking to a student who's looking for their first job, um, they would be, in my opinion, they'd be crazy not to at least introduce themselves to the because I mean, mo- motion capture, performance capture, whatever you want to call it, it's not going away. It's we're going to be building on it. You're going to see it more in films, more in games. It's not, it's, it's certainly not going to remove the need for keyframes, that's for sure. But it's like you're just going to see a lot of it. So I think that. For you to be able to offer more to a company, like like Rick's saying, like there is so much manipulation that needs to be do- so it's very organic process making animations for a game, and there's so much manipulation of the data that so often that you're also just you have to keyframe transitions anyways because you never caught it, you know, you never did the motion capture for it, so uh, you know just uh, get Rick to do it because you know he knows how to set some keyframes. It's you really want to be able to come to the table versatile, and I think that is what's going to get you that first job. As opposed to, you know, I think that for people who've been in the industry for a while, even to those people, I'd say it's a good idea to open your mind to it because you might you might find yourself actually really enjoying it if you really open your mind to it. And it might just get you that next job. But I know there's also a lot of people out there that are very set in their ways and they really like their keyframing or they really like their motion capture uh, work. And, um, you know, they're veterans of the industry. But, you know, things change so quick. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't like I don't like the idea of ever getting comfortable. I mean, it's like, it would be like me saying, hey, Rick, um, would you believe me if I told you that you would always, always only be using Maya for the rest of your life? <laughs> no, no, no. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but people I, I, I think that people get in these these arguments all the time about software and I laugh at them every single time. And I, I, I'm just as guilty as the next guy to call, you know. To, to, to make fun of one software over another one every once in a while. But at the end of the day, who really cares? Because these are all sort of, you get too in love or too attached to one particular way of doing things, then you know what? You just get re- ready to, to just phase out of existence because this industry changes every second. And you never know when something drastically different will, will just change the way you do everything. And if you're not willing to sort of open your mind and learn a new trick, then, well, 
I got some yeah. news for you, man. It's, you're not going to survive the evolution that is this industry. I was going to say, personally, sometimes I find if I have a choice between a like animator, animator and a junior animator. If a junior yeah. animator shows that that you know he's excited about motion capture, I I'm yeah. sometimes I, I favor that because an animator who just wants a keyframe will might give a hard time or just. Absolutely. Put resistance where where I just don't have time for it. So I just want someone who wants to be part of the team and is willing to yeah. do whatever it takes to make yeah. the game great. It's not to make their exactly. animation great, but to make the game exactly. great. So I think yeah, it's, I you should have, have it on on your resume or somewhere showing that you you know it. You know? I think so. I mean, it's not, again. I want to stress that it's not, there's nothing wrong with an animator who really just loves keyframe animation. I don't think that's wrong. And if you want, if that's all you really really want to do for sure. Then you know, that's great, but but know that you will be limiting yourself, and you'll have to find a job which will hopefully provide you exactly that. You know, I just and I and I just I'm the kind of guy who who I'm always concerned when someone says, "Well, this is the only thing I ever want to do," but that person has never actually tried the other thing. And um, that's what I think. If there was one thing that I wanted everyone to, that takes my class to take away from it, it's that they they let their guard down and they really they took they they took a chance and they they really looked at something and they saw how they could take their animation skills and their animator mind and and sort of apply it and leverage it in this sort of this world that's ripe ripe for people like them to come in and get involved and to really take it into directions that people. Uh, won't even believe until they see it. Mm. Now, okay, I got a question. If I'm an animator and say, well, you know, I know how to animate, why would I need to take this class for motion capture? Because we say motion capture, like people think as it is software and not thinking as technique. So that's yeah. one, that's one, that what's, really that's one problem. trap. Yeah, people like, oh, it's just, it's just, you know, software, I'm going to use motion builder, I'm going to work with motion capture. That's, it's not that, it's, it's a really a technique, it's an art you know, yes, it might be uh, right now. It's a very technical art, and it's getting better and better. Like game design and integrating systems and games was very technical, but now it's become more artistic, and that's why you have animators that creating animation flow charts and animation designs. Motion capture is—it's an art form. It's, it has its yeah. own own ways to do it. Well, I think what it really comes down to is 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 this: is yes, it is absolutely a very very different approach. And uh, it's not to say that this, the the there's not to, it's not to say that the skills you've learned as an animator can't be applied to to to, to motion capture and vice versa. But the truth is, it is a very different process. I mean, animators are taught from the beginning to create something from nothing, right? They may be using reference, but that's still they're going to be the ones first putting those first key poses down, and they're going to build off of that, right? Where people working with motion capture, it's sort of, it's weird. Animators getting handed their first motion capture scene, it feels like what they're getting handed is someone else's finished polished shot. And they're like, here you go. There's your work. Do something with that. And they're like, uh, but where do I, how do I, how do I block? What? I don't, I don't even know what. Like, and, and I know this for a fact because I, I was so interested in trying to figure out and pioneer good workflow practices at Ubisoft and other companies I've worked for, for motion, uh, you know, motion capture pipelines, because I, I started to realize and get the feeling that a lot of the animators that were doing this work didn't really actually know what to do. It was just an assumption. Oh, well, you know, those guys over the corner, they do weird cartwheels and they move stuff around all the time on the screen. They'll, they'll probably be good at the motion capture. Give it to them. And so literally one day an animator was keyframing 
on a game and the next day they could transfer to another game and then they're expected to use motion capture and you know different software and everything and so what they do is they solve the problem by sending these people off to school they're learning new software but then it's like rick said it's not about that i mean it's partly about that you have to know how to use the new pencil but but more importantly, you have to you have to open your mind to a new process and a new workflow to working with this data in a completely different way. So that's really the biggest thing. It's 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 a completely different philosophy. It can it can be empowered by an animator's sort of perspective, but it really does require reconfiguring of the way you work. Okay, okay, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Yes, yeah, well okay. said, well said. That's what <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> now we have another question here mark waterston he says do you use maya motion builder plus maya or motion builder exclusively to do the cleanup and dynamics rigid bodies etc so okay. how does that typically work well well the cool see the funny thing is about motion builder is it started as a as a software called Filmbox, and i know rick probably knows this because it was made here in his hometown yeah sorry i'm dating rick i mean hey i already dated myself misery loves company right so i think that What's interesting about the software is that it started as as this sort of third-party software that wanted to come to the party and be like, look, buy us, buy the software, Filmbox, by Kadera, a company here in Montreal. And we specialize in working with motion capture data. This is right around the time that motion capture was becoming very popular and very uh, very widespread. It was just well, it's just starting really. And uh, they know they, they knew that they needed to work in a format that would be very friendly to all the other softwares. So they they created this this FBX format. Uh, it was uh, in, it's called FBX because and a lot of people don't know this, but it's from it's an abbreviation of Filmbox, which was the original software. And this software was meant to be a translator. It was supposed to be able to go in and out of pretty much all the popular softwares. And um, so what, what the beautiful thing about Motion Builder is, is that you can use it in just about any pipeline. So say you're working, because you, you're not going to render in Motion Builder, right? It's, it's, that's not made for that. But so what a lot of people will be using is it's, most, most companies, either whether it's film or commercial or games, they will have a hub software, a hub software, right? So say it's 3D Studio Max. That's what they're going to be doing all their major exporting into the engine with. They're going to be building their assets there. They're going to be doing their textures there. And, um, you know, Motion Builder could be used as this sort of add-on where the animation can just plug directly into Motion Builder. So technically, I could take a scene, I could build a mesh, I could skin it, I could bone it, I could also build an environment that's set up for, say, rigid body dynamics in Maya, and uh, then I can export my skeleton into Motion Builder. I can rig it up using the tools inside Motion Builder. I can then apply motion capture data to this. I can then modify that data because of this. I can manipulate it any way I want, and then I can spit it back out into um, into Maya. So the animation is then just ported right in. It doesn't come with the rig, but it's, it's the animations baked on, on the, on the bones. Now you can simulate, you can do whatever you need to do. So now the character who needs to run through a brick wall through this dynamic simulation that you've created, uh, it, it's, it just plugs nicely into the scene. You can render it there and do whatever you need to do. I also want to say really quickly that depending on the pipeline, some regardless of film, commercial, and games, some pipelines, you, you might just do your animation and motion builder if it's game and export it directly to games. So you might have two pipelines. You might have a Maya pipeline and a motion builder pipeline. Uh, and then, you know, other games, you know, like Brent says, you might do the work in motion builder and bring it back into Maya and then put in games. But other studios I've been to is just, you can either work in Maya or just work in motion builder or send it back and forth in between both software. So, you know, there's uh, there's different possibilities and different pipelines that are possible. So you do not have to go through Maya 
a lot of games are doing that there because there's no real need to bring in a Max or Maya for games because, as a matter of fact, a lot of engines now, they actually read natively the FBX format. A lot of engines are being made to do that. So imagine, imagine just working in Motion Builder, saving the scene, and then now the animations are all of a sudden just in the engine because it knew how to actually parse the scene and just use those those animations because all really an fbx file is is a set of like you know pivots and and rotational translational information and like that's what a game engine needs right so you know it can the fbx format can bring a lot of other information as well as long as the engine knows how to actually take open that little box up and take what it needs it can take the rotational information and the translational information and then leave everything else behind mm. Okay, another question here. This one's from our Facebook page, Andrew Lancer. He says, what's the best way for students to study mocap if you don't have a mocap studio? Who? That is a, you know, it's an excellent question. I get this asked all the time, and it's, it's, it's tricky uh, because as unlike animation, you could just look at a video and just start keyframing, right? You don't really need anything other than the software. But the, to really get good at, at learning motion capture is that you need motion capture data, right? There are places on the internet that you can uh, poke around and get some of that data. But, uh, you know, that it's not quite the same thing unless you're actually, you know, it's, it's so much more fun, obviously, than, you know, working uh, um, on, a, on a production that can provide you material that's, you know, specifically what you, what you want or need to work on. So, you know, it, it, it can be tricky and it's a bit of a challenge. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, but you mean you could obviously take this class? That's and right. Provide the <laughs> you, you would be able to learn quite quickly this way. So that's some of the stuff we're going to be providing with this workshop is motion capture data. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. And, there will be motion capture data provided. Okay, this actually goes into another question here. Uh, this is from Chris Fagat, one of our students here, and he says, "I'm curious how the class assignments will work. Will each student get the same mocap clip and modify that in similar ways, or are there individual directives with different clips?" Uh, you know, it's. <laughs> Oh, Rick, he's, he's chomping at the bit to say something. Rick, please, after you. <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to say no comment. I don't want to. Is that too much information? Let yeah. me say this. So because um, Brent is, is he's extremely talented. He, he He's not just a, a motion capture director. He did traditional animation. He does 3D animation. And just by chance that he's, he's fantastic at working and directing motion capture, as well as, uh, I don't know if we mentioned it, that he also does live action. Like, aren't yeah. you still directing something, one of your shows, live action shows? Yeah, yeah, I started, it was a web series here locally in town. It was my first yeah. chance to, cool. to direct people yeah. in front of a camera. That is a whole other conversation. That's <laughs> yeah. So as, as for the assignments, if someone comes in and really wants to kind of just get the knowledge of motion capture, but still wants to do some keyframing animation, I mean, Brent is, he's an expert. He's, he's directed many, many things and worked on many projects, which will give the, the flexibility to the students. And if the student comes up with, you know, we'd like to use these motion capture clips and put and create something with it, there will be a possibility, but we will provide something a little bit more straightforward to ease the learning, the learning curve. Okay. Okay. So we'll leave it at that. Basically, one of the nice things about iAnimate, though, I've noticed from our very first opening the doors is that we've been very flexible. Our goal here is obviously to, to teach and to have... Uh, so I know there'll be some flexibility there, but obviously with the guidelines here with a great instructor like Brent. So, um, I guess we'll leave that question at that then. <laughs> <laughs> we will supply what they need to, to, to get to definitely, definitely master and have a lot of fun while learning. Well, not, I don't, I master is a, that's, I'm using that a little bit too loosely. Really, this is an introduction. It's to get people involved, get them to, 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 you know, up to, up to speed pretty quickly with, with core concepts, 
of working with data and the kind of good, good healthy workflows and interfacing in, into a production-like environment. Yeah, this is not a technical class. This is still the art of animation. Yeah. It's just that you were using a technical tool, but now we're going to teach you how to be creative with that tool. Like if, yeah. even if you're a carpenter with a, with a yeah, hammer and, and saw. So it's the same principles. Yeah, that's the that was the focus on this class, and I know Rick really didn't want to, this to turn into a technical class. So what I'm really doing is making it very, very friendly to even to non-technical people. Try to get them up and running, you know, how you know on, on how to use this new, maybe seemingly you know, scary and technical pencil, and try to get through that as quickly as possible, and not to not to try to have them bite off more than they could chew and learn all kinds of parts of the software that they don't need to know right away, just so we can get to the meat of it and get to the art of it as quickly and as soon as possible. Okay. You mentioned something on one of the interviews at Pixel Challenge was anatomy of an action. Can you uh, yes. ex- explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, I, what, I, what I tried to explain, I don't know if I did a very good job. I haven't seen that, that video, actually, so I don't know how well I did. <laughs> it's on the site but, now. Uh, oh, cool. I'll have to question oh. that. I can laugh at myself. So um, what I, what I, what, the anatomy of an action is something that I had made up years ago. After having to try to explain animation to students you know year after year after year because for me it it's 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 all fine and dandy that we can teach the principles of animation these, these things you know they can be taught and really they're really just sort of art or the artistic perspective on on sort of like you know physics 101 right like it's really all the anatomy action really is i sorry the principles of animation supplying supplying ingredients that you need to put in your animation to make the movement itself seem lifelike and realistic but um, at some point, you're going to get to the awkward sort of moment where people are just like not really understanding how to choose an extreme pose. Like you can teach staging and you can call it whatever you want, but really, like I find that one of the things that people struggle with the most, even after they've really learned a lot of the principles of animation, is how do I choose a pose? Like you, people call them all kinds of things. There's extreme keys, there's extreme poses, there's golden poses. Everyone has a different name for them, but like whatever. What, what are they and how do I find them? And so anatomy in action is a formula that I had created that, that is useful for breaking down and analyzing and extracting the right poses. And it's all based on physics. It's based on biomechanics. It's, but it does, it's not scientific. It's just sort of common sense and a useful set of sort of like rules and tools to sort of, you know, to, to get that job done. Because I know for myself as an animator, what the, the par, part of the process I think I spend the most time with is because it hurts my brain is to set those really, those critical first poses. And, um, and I mean, I wanted to give artists a, uh, you know, a set of tools to be able to do that. Now, I, I, I found a really interesting connection between this anatomy and action, uh, you know, or a correlation between doing that for animators and using that uh, with motion capture data. So that's why I want to sort of bring that into the fold as I teach this stuff, because what I'm going to be doing is, is this, what I would do with animation students is I would have them analyze videos you know, find these poses after learning the formula, anatomy of action, and then, you know, and then recreating those poses essentially as their key poses in, in, in say Maya or whatever, if they're, you know, whatever they were keyframing in. But I want to, what I'm going to be talking a little bit about, it, about is, is about doing the same kind of thing, but instead of looking at a video, you have this, you have, you have data right in front of you. You're, you're working with this three-dimensional motion that is the motion capture file. What's stopping you from just going through and extracting only those key moments and throwing away everything else and then keyframing on top of it, doing your own breakdowns. You can modify your, um, your, um, 
your key poses, making them better silhouettes, make them, you know, make them a bit bigger than life, make them a little higher, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. You can do whatever you want with them and not have to be inundated and, and overwhelmed by all these key, keys on every frame between them. You have a kind of a clean base that you can sort of pull from. And so that's, we're going to explore a little bit of that in this class. And so I'm pretty excited to sort of bring such a very animation. So even if you're, you know, you could taking this class, that, that could be another little tool that you can bring into your animation keyframe workflow. Right. I noticed when I first got introduced to start using video reference, yep. even that, even on a 2D level, meaning it's flat, yep. it, it's still one of those things you start looking, you're going, okay, where are my golden poses? Yeah. Because there's so much yeah. information. There's so much, you know, the hips are moving here, but the shoulders are moving there. Exactly. And you, kind of picking out and going, okay, what are my storytelling poses? So that's kind of even what you're talking about here, but you're taking it from a three-dimensional data. Exactly. It's just like, it's the same, it's, you need a technique, you need some way, some sort of process in your brain as, as an artist to know and to choose. Like some people, they make it look easy and it, we hate them for it, right? <laughs> and, and God knows there's many of them out there, right? Uh, and and I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to essentially to give new aspiring artists and animators and motion capture artists sort of these i hate to say training wheels but like it's it's sort of like a way of getting them going so that they can find a way of pulling pretty good poses they may not be perfect it's not like a foolproof plan it's going to make you the best animator overnight uh but it, the students are going to see just how applicable it really is it's just it's a way it's almost more of a mindset of opening their mind to what what are they looking for that helps them decide on what a golden pose is as opposed to this sort of black box that's like oh brent yeah it's really easy for you to say pick the golden poses but like how do i do that exactly yeah you know what's really great about this is that a young animator can really learn from this as much as a, as a seasoned animator can can improve his own workflow and work skill with this type of technique so that's i think that's kind of really really cool and that's why i was really we work really hard to make sure that that was part of the class. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to uh, make that happen. So it's try to test it too. That's the thing. I've been teaching animation for so long and, and the students really respond well to this because it, it sort of, it takes away some of the fear and the unknown, like the unknown to setting those first poses. Cause I know that that can be a very paralyzing part of the process of like, okay, I'm going to do a new animation. Where do I start? You know? And this is how it gives them some confidence to, to, to be able to say, oh, well, it's, we just follow these rules and I know what I'm supposed to be looking for. Right. I can start laying yeah. my foundation down. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, one of the things like I mentioned here, I'm looking forward to introducing this workshop into iAnimate. And one of the things I'm just hearing from you is your enthusiasm. I know Jason's even mentioned here when he was started, first started iAnimate. And I know that's the same thing with Rick, with the instructors pulling in for here for the game side, was you can get guys who are talented, but there's still that ability to teach. And right off the bat, I could tell you had that, that ability to teach. And I think that came across here in this podcast. So that's, that's a okay, great, that's good. great thing here. So I think it's going to be a really cool workshop. The truth be told, it just, I, I just love what I do. And, and I've been, I, and I've had the opportunity, the lucky opportunity for years now to be teaching this in classrooms over Canada. Right. So, and I've had, and I wasn't great at the beginning and it, it something like anatomy in action started really from my, uh, my, my, my observation that holy crap i'm going in here and people are asking me questions and i don't know the answer like <laughs> how do i you know what i mean like and i know we've as teachers we're scared right it's like we're supposed to know and it's not that it's not that i don't know it's just how i don't know how to explain it and so i started to spend a lot of energy articulating my thoughts so that i could explain it in a very in, you know to build a dialogue and a vocabulary that i could you know 
that I could I could sort of brought, get that information in someone's head in a way that in in, in a predictable and in in sort of um, a consistent way. Yeah, no, that's uh, very yeah, important, man. Very important. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, Brent. Looking forward to this workshop no starting it here in September. Absolutely, me too. I look right. forward to seeing uh, new students in the class sign up and have some fun. All right. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, guys.